you get mad enough, you'll you'll climb right out of that sinkhole. Hi, and welcome to Meet Your Heroes. I'm Audrey. And I'm Elliot. And this is the show where we ignore the very good conventional wisdom to never meet your heroes, and instead get up close and personal with the lesser known legacies and real life bad behavior of some of history's most notable and beloved people. Do you know what kind of gourd season it is? Spooky? Close. Oh, okay. Carved? Decorative. Decorative. <laughs> it is decorative gourd season still. If C- folks are listening to this, like, when it airs, if they're listening to this in the springtime, then we're just aging ourselves. That's true. But as we record, it is still decorative gourd season, which could be spooky. Mm-hmm. It could be cute, lovely. Who knows? Yeah. I don't... Scary? Yeah. Silly? I hope it's scary. Any number of adjectives for gourds. Anyway, we are coming up on Halloween. Yes. Gourds and their decorations. My second favorite part of Halloween. Okay. Fair enough. What's your first favorite part? Candy. Okay. I do not share that that interest with you. I don't I don't eat sugar. Yeah, I mean you it's not like you avoid sugar. No, I don't I just don't like the taste of sugar. Which is just wild. That's not a thing. It is a thing. I just, I don't enjoy too much sugar. Did, did childhood you not enjoy sugar as well? Yes. I have never liked sugar. That feels so wrong. I mean, I like, I like some sweets. I will have a treat every now and then. But by and large, if there's a dessert table, it is, it requires zero willpower on my behalf to just be like, no, I'm not interested in that. That. I just, I struggle to imagine the six-year-old version of you just being like, oh, no, thank you. I'm not really into sugar. Yeah, I, I that's exactly what it was like. I didn't have icing on cakes. Actually, I never really had cakes. I just had a bunch of uh, pies, which are, you know, tend to be more tart, less sweet. Um, I, I mean, I, I enjoy the occasional candy, but I do not crave sweet things. And so... Halloween as a vessel for getting candy is just, yeah, it's fine. It is what it is. I can buy candy. I'm a grown-up. I can buy as much candy as I want all the time, That's and the I thing. still don't. That's the thing. It, yeah, as a grown-up, you just buy as much as you want, whatever you want. I buy you candy. Nobody's stopping you. Yeah, no one stops me when I buy you candy. Yep. I just eat all the candy I want. That's right. Anyway, so Halloween candy doing what you want feels like the perfect intro to this week's hero yes speaking of doing whatever you want with your candy this week's hero is none other than mr milton hershey what do you know about milton hershey andre absolutely nothing absolutely nothing i find that hard to believe nothing I know nothing about this person. I didn't even know his first name was Milton. I mean, I know there's a Hershey, Pennsylvania, which is like where it's all headquartered and named after them, right? But yeah, other than that, absolutely nothing. 
Well, you may be shocked to find out there is a chocolate company. Yes. Named Hershey's. <laughs> Familiar. He started it. Not surprised. Okay. It's convenient. If you have a chocolate company named Hershey and your last name happens to be Hershey, it works what are, out. What are the odds? <laughs> but nothing else. No, really. Um, I saw a very funny meme tweet this week about Hershey. Oh, what was that? It was like overheard in L.A. Mm-hmm. And somebody, like person number one is like, oh, that's a cute dog. What's his name? Person number two. And it's written out her slash she. And the person was like, oh, I'm sorry, I misgendered your dog. What's her name? And and the person number one is like, or person number two is like, no, her name is Hershey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, this is uh, a good name for dogs. That's true. Yeah. A lot of chocolate labs named Hershey, I imagine. I imagine so as well. I probably know more about chocolate labs named Hershey than I know about the actual man Mr. Hershey himself. Yeah, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that at all. Now, no time like the present to learn. Well, with this chocolate lake in front of us, let's dive in. Milton Snavely Hershey. Nope. Yep. Start over. (laughs) Snavely? Milton Snavely Hershey. Spell that. Snave. As in S-N-A-V-E. L-Y. Snavely. There's actually no good way to pronounce that, even if it was like Snavely or <laughs> what? Snavely? It like must be navel, like a maiden name as a middle with name. an S and a Y on the ends. Mr. Snavely. Sure. It has to be a maiden name turned middle name. That I mean, is not a real name. I don't think you choose that name. I think it is given to you. <laughs> I mean, yes. I don't, I've never heard that name before. It It sounds like... A really terrible off-brand cold medicine. <laughs> yes, it very well could be, actually. Do you have a cold? Try Snavely. Uh, well, there's some cough drops in our future, so it could have been. Okay, there we go. Uh, but it was not. Snavely was born on September 13th, 1857. A Virgo. <laughs> Would you stop? <laughs> it's now your turn. <laughs> well, for the people who want it, they deserve they know. to know. They know already. Okay, September 13th, what year? I wasn't listening. 1857. Woof. That's a rough time to be born. It is. It is a rough time to be born. In a farmhouse near the central Pennsylvania village of Derry Church. Doesn't make being born then any easier. Nope. Uh, Hershey had one younger sister who died when she was four. Ooh, so, okay, so it just gets worse. Yep, so it is basically just him and the, and the parents. His father uh, was very into get-rich schemes. And all of the father's get-rich schemes failed. As they are wont to do. Even, even surprisingly, the trout farm. You would think the trout farm, solid proposition, that one as a get-rich-quick scheme, also failed, sadly. Was it the MLM of its day? Like, he had to give... He had to get two other trout trout farms (laughs) under him, and then they each had to start two other trout farms. Right. Exactly. It's a hard life to start trout farms in the 1850s. Yeah, because you can always get started, but it's hard to find those other six people. That's the the trick of it. Mm -hmm. But attempts to find that just one next scheme that worked Mm -hmm. really defined their family life. Sure. So Snavely was moving around a lot. Um. That's not his first name, right? No, Milton. his first name is Milton, but I'm just calling him Snavely because I like it. Okay, so 
at least the people who listen to our podcast do not come here for the facts. <laughs> but this is a fact. <laughs> His mother may have called him Milton, okay. but I've always called him Snavely. In your heart, he yes. is Snavely to you. They moved around a lot, mm -hmm. and little Snavely had attended seven different schools before ultimately dropping out of school at the ripe old age of 12. No. In fourth grade. Weren't there, at that point, compulsory education laws? And 12 is old for fourth grade. It, yes, it was old for fourth grade, <laughs> and also, no, because he transitioned into an apprenticeship, which was also a valid way to... Make your way in the 1850s world. College or career ready. There you he go. He was career ready as a 12-year-old <laughs> fourth year grader. <laughs> so um, his father, Henry Hershey, found his son a position mm. as a printer's apprentice in Gap, Pennsylvania. Okay. And Snavely said of that time, mm -hmm. I lost my job when I let my old straw hat fall on the form rollers where they would be rolling out the paper press, mm -hmm. which I may have done on purpose. Oh, no. Didn't like it. But that would not keep this young man out of the workforce. His okay. mother quickly found him a job uh, at a local Lancaster, Pennsylvania confectioner. Mm. Joseph H. Royer was the confectioner. And on his mother's insistence, Mr. Milton Snavely was quickly promoted from being the handle man on the ice cream freezer mm. to the candy kitchen, where she hoped he might learn something. No freeloading at the uh, candy factory. That's true. Uh, one night when he left the kitchen, he forgot to turn off the blower on the peanut roaster. So uh, the whole street outside quickly filled with burnt peanut shells, but oh. he did not burn the place down. Okay, so that was my first guess. Uh, seems like unlike the last apprenticeship, this one was on accident, but he still almost managed to blow it right there. Mm. But he did stay on, and in the summer of 1876, by the time he was 19, his mother and his aunt, who was a big presence in his life, both decided that he had learned enough, he should quit, and go into business for himself in Philadelphia. His aunt, Maddie, kicked in 150 bucks and offered to take him there and help him find a place, and so packed up his stuff and went to go make it big on his own. So at the ripe old age of 18, Milton Snavely here opened his first candy business on June 1st, 1876. He made several different kinds of candies and nuts, some baked goods. And for the next five or six years, he's pretty successful. He can pay the bills, keep the lights on. He's got a, a little family business going. Best case scenario. Eventually, though, he gets into debt and Ew. can't quite pay the bills for the supplies Bills start adding up. What's he spending his money on? Has he got vices? No. So he actually is just trying to like make He's just the, bad at business? Bad at business. Okay. Right? He's trying to make it work, but he's spending too much on supplies, not selling enough product. And that little bit adds up over time. Yeah. Eventually, he's got huge bills and he can't make the payments. And so six years in, he goes bankrupt. They oh. foreclose the shop and he is forever out of the candy business. Okay. Well, okay, not forever. Spoiler alert. <laughs> he gets back into the candy business. But he does decide that the candy business, not for him, not how he's going to make his money. So he decides- Trout. Next best thing, not trout, silver mining. Oh, so, okay. So we've already been here. We've been here once. 
Have we've, we? We've done this bullshit already. Move into Nevada, gonna mine some silver. Colorado for him, but yes. Okay. Who was the other hero that had this silver mining thing going on? Mark Twain. That's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Big, big trend. Big yeah, trend at that day. exact time, really. Heading, heading west. Yes. Nobody made it, nobody made it big. Yeah, like almost everyone else who tried this. This did not make him very rich. Yeah. By the time Word made it back from Colorado to Pennsylvania or the East Coast, that someone had discovered silver in this one place, all the silver had been found. Yeah. It was not going to happen for him. Given that that time's technology. Obviously, there's more silver silver to be found as technology advances, but these clowns weren't getting it. Milton Snavely was not going to strike a big in silver. Mm-mm. But he's made his way to Colorado. Okay. He's in Denver. He shows up. Fails dramatically. Just not going to make it as a silver miner. I, too, have failed dramatically in Colorado. <laughs> I'm being a silver miner? Uh, at living my dreams. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Abandon them real quick in the mountains. Goodbye. Not the best place for it? Yeah, it's a great place for dreams. It's not a great place to make dreams happen. Mm. Unless you already have dreams that have manifest. And then you move to Colorado with your manifested dreams. It's a great place to have manifested dreams. It's a good place to bring dreams. It's a good place to bring dreams. I think a lot of people bring their dreams to Colorado. Bad place to find dreams? It's a great place to believe in the potential of your dreams. It's a hard place. To realize your dreams. Yeah. It's a hard place to realize your dreams anywhere. What are we talking about? Belly up, silver mines. Okay. Um, So, like many of the other people whose dreams were crushed Mm -hmm. in in the silver rush... Mr. Milton Snavely decides he's going to have to pay the bills. So he goes to work with a caramel manufacturer. Caramel? I'm not going to start Are this debate with you. This? We're caramel? Caramel. Shut the fuck up, man. It's caramel. If you can read letters, the uh. first four letters are C-A-R-A, Cara. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not car, Cara. I'm not going to argue the last with Mel. a man who grew up in a city where the street is Calliope. <laughs> Instead of Calliope? Instead of Calliope. I'm you... not doing this with you. We're not going to have this conversation. It's caramel. It's caramel. Everybody listening to this says it's caramel. He went to go work in a caramel manufacturer Mm-mm. and learned the art of caramel making. Okay. So, Silver Dreams turned to caramel consolation prizes. Okay. Once he learns this art, he tries traveling to several other cities, Chicago, New Orleans, eventually New York, trying to start up a little caramel business. Fails every time. My understanding of caramel at the time, and I know this because there was a a company that actually ended up recreating caramel around this time. My understanding is it's a pretty expensive business to be in. Like the amount of butter and sugar you need to make good caramel is a bit tricky. I believe depending on the recipe, you also need milk, Mm -hmm. which you need to get fresh. Yeah. Spoils easily, especially before refrigerators. Yes. So he's got all kinds of problems trying to make this happen. Um, Some of them are just landlords who are insistent upon their rent. (laughs) Uh, One of the cities, um, I think in either Chicago or New Orleans, he's doing all right selling it from this cart. But somebody, a young troublemaker, sets the cart on fire. New Orleans. And the horse just takes off running, crashes the cart. New Orleans. That was New Orleans. (laughs) So money problems followed him through these journeys. Uh, And eventually, when he was in New York, 
he got there, he was trying to sell this stuff, but he defaulted on some payments, and the cops come, and they basically confiscate his candy-making equipment. He's, like, in his early 20s. He's had a dramatic young life. Yeah, he's turning 30 now, and he has basically been run out of, like, four or five cities at this point. Oh, no. Like, failed failed one business after five years, tried to make the silver rush, then tried to bring this candy thing several different places, just cannot make it work. Not good at business, can't catch a break. I mean, startup life is hard. Lots it's of people true. have multiple businesses before one takes off. It's very true. And um, But he is in New York on his last few dollars, and he's like, this is just hard living. Uh, he spends those last few dollars to buy a ticket back to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Ships basically what little things he has left back home. And at 30, bankrupt, he goes back to his hometown. It's 1883, and his family, who had mostly invested in in like four failed businesses at this point. (laughs) Of his? Of his. Okay, plus all the trout. Yeah, plus all the trout farming uh, shenanigans. uh, Basically, mostly shunned him. Uh, They did not want to have anything to do with his next big business idea as he was trying to get off the ground. Okay. They were very much like, go get a real job. Yeah. But he would have none of that. He's like, my fourth grade education is not conducive to getting a real job. Sure. And he doesn't have the model for a real job in his family either. No. Now, the exception in his family was his aunt. Okay. Who, after hearing that he had learned this caramel business and had tried to make it work, but it had all these strings of bad luck, she yet again gave him a loan to buy his next set of caramel making equipment after his other stuff was confiscated in New York. Okay. So there he is back home with a little bit of family support, mm-hmm. spends his days making the candy, and then his nights selling them from a little push cart through the streets. And sure enough, with a little bit of money and a little bit of people believing in him, his caramels start to take off. Within three years, he had graduated from a cart into a little storefront, and Milton Snavely started the Lancaster Caramel Company. Brick and mortar. That's always the dream. That is the dream. I mean, if, if the alternative is having your cart set on fire mm-hmm. in the streets mm-hmm. and having your horse escape, brick and mortar sounds great. Yeah, fantastic. Real step up. Yes. Um, his candy was good. He had had lots of trial and error. <laughs> and basically, uh, by 1886, it really starts to take off. He becomes extremely successful, and the candies are... Really profitable, too. Oh, wow. There's just one problem. Always is. Bad credit. Yeah. See, he's got like a decade-long history at this point of every time he borrows money, eventually it goes bad. Who's keeping track of his credit at this point? They're not like a central bureau. There aren't central bureaus, but if you remember, he's back where his last company that lasted for five or six years was that went under because he couldn't pay his bills. Sure. So now he's back in the same town trying Mm -hmm. to borrow more money again. He's like, I got a candy company. It's doing well. They're like, aren't you the guy whose candy company went bankrupt because you couldn't pay your bills? And he's like, well, what about the first four and a half years where the company was successful? Yeah. Does that count for nothing? Turns out they were not sympathetic. Ah, So he finds himself on round two of Pennsylvania candy companies This one's really taken off, and yet he has to buy the supplies before he sells them, and this cash flow problem is really starting to hamper him. Mm -hmm. Eventually, so much that he is getting close, and he is about to go bankrupt again. He is at the bank, begging a loan officer for a loan, and they're like, we can't lend you this money. Every time you've done this, you borrow the money, and you've gone under, can't do it. 
and a sympathetic cashier at the bank hearing his story is like, you know what? I'll co-sign this loan with you. And sure enough, signs on the dotted line, gets his money, and gets the supplies he needs to really turn this thing around. Okay, so he's in his early 30s at this point. Yep. No wife. No wife. Married to the candy game. (laughs) Married to the candy game. And uh, has a lot of motherly and anti-support. Okay. I'm suspicious. Well, he he had made this work. Mm -hmm. He had gotten this final loan he needed. And finally, when he turned this corner, by 1892, he was so successful, he was starting to buy up his competitors' facilities. His caramels were made with, like, the nicest imported ingredients you could find. Wow. Had uh, a bunch of different types of candies, things called uh, Paradox. He had Empire candies, Islets, Jim Crack, Roly Poly. Are these, is he only selling locally or is he, like, shipping to New York, Philadelphia? Is he, like, a name, regional? He starts... Local, but eventually sure. he is exporting both regionally up to New York and then eventually internationally as well. Whoa. So he is starting to be like a real deal. He's got the factory from his competitors that he bought up. He is like legit candy maker at this point. Puts his mom into a nice house with a chauffeur. Whoa. Weird bird cages and like a fountain in the front. What? Puts his dad in a separate house because apparently she did not get along with the dad after all the failed trout businesses. Yeah, say, he smells like fish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For like 30 years. They did, he, he, he continued living on the farm, but the mom got a fancy house downtown. Great. Really living it up. Good for her. In 1893, mm-hmm. the next year, Mr. Snavely goes to the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago. Okay. And this is a massive event. Uh-huh. About 27 million people descend on Chicago. This is like the hub of mm-hmm. new technologies. It's the height of futurism. It really is. Yeah. In the thick of this innovation hub, a lot of brands that we know today are going to get launched. Okay. So Cracker Jack. Heard of it. Juicy Fruit Gum. Yikes. Yeah. Aunt Jemima. The pancake and syrup company that now is just... I think Jemima. Jemima Pancakes? Or they, I think maybe it's like Ant? Aunt, Aunt, Aunt Jen, I don't know. It's it's not as racist. It's less racist now. Yeah. Um, we Obviously, I don't eat sugar, so I don't buy that shit. True. The Cream of Wheat Company. <gasps> okay. All of these things get started. Oh, in fact, PBR, Paps Blue Ribbon. I'm familiar, yeah. Up until this expo, it was just Pabst. But... At this expo. They want a blue ribbon. They want a blue ribbon. Yeah, it's the best what they got, baby. Yes. So up until this, just Paps now, Paps Blue Ribbon. No ribbon since then, actually. That was the last <laughs> the ribbon The singular got. ribbon they ever earned. Since then, everyone was like, that's what wins awards? Yeah. We can do better than that. 1893 was the height. But Milton Snavely. You are going attends... to confuse so many people. It is Milton Hershey. People are going to be like, who the fuck is this? episode about okay well so here's the thing milton snavely hershey yes later in life mm-hmm. would just go by ms for milton snavely weird all of his people around him at his company called him ms yikes so he liked milton snavely no he liked ms he liked M- mr hershey too i'm sure whatever <laughs> mr snavely here <gasps> okay he, here's the thing he reminds me of the like 
the bad guy from Willy Wonka. But why? Well, because like, not because of his story, but be- the name, wasn't it like Mr. Snidely or something in Willy Wonka? I-, I would guess it was based off of that. Who knows? Anyway, at the 1893 Expo, mm-hmm. Milton, Hershey. Heard of him. Goes and sees a demonstration from a German chocolatier. Mm. And the demo that he saw was this chocolatier showing off an entirely new chocolate-making process. There were new machines. It was automated. It was industrialized. And for the first time, instead of just being like a fine artisan craft to make chocolate, this chocolatier was like, if you buy these machines, you can make it an industrial process. Okay. And Hershey, Mr. Caramel King, sees an opportunity. Of course. I mean, he's always on the lookout for an opportunity since he was 12. Yeah, yeah. This is his This is his trout farm, mm-hmm. right? He's like Shark Tank. Yeah. His comment to his cousin who went with him to the fair says, Frank, I'm going to make chocolate. He's <laughs> Decisive. Very, he's very direct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, within weeks of this, the Lancaster plant where he made his caramels was full of Germans installing this new chocolate-making machinery. Whoa. And... He looks at his cousin and he says, caramels are only a fad compared to chocolate. Okay. Well, what I do know is that soon the Brock Candy Company will come in and they're going to reformulate the way that caramel is made. And instead of being so like sticky and brittle, they have this process where they cook it slightly slower and it's like a higher milk content. So it's like chewy and stringy like we know caramel now. But before it used to be, you know, like those um, suckers that are like caramel apples and it's like green on the outside, candy in the caramel on the inside, so sticky. That's what like traditional caramel is like. How do you know this? I know a lot of things. I didn't do any of this research. I know a lot of things. How do you have, just have like a back a back pocket of like caramel research ready to go? I don't. I, so um, what do you I, know about the Brock company that you're not telling us? Well, there was like a very famous murder of the Brock heiress, and so I know a little story of that. But also, it's just one of you know how I know a lot about elevators. I do. I do it, know how you know a lot about elevators. Like caramel is like another thing I know a lot about. I tried like I learned how to make caramel and toffee when I was in high school. Uh, don't make it now, but it was just like an activity to do, and uh, I learned a little history of it. So piecing things I know from 20 years ago with like true crime from recent, I I actually know a fair bit about <laughs> the history of caramel. Wrong person doing this episode, apparently. <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> Nevertheless, mm-hmm. caramel, thing of the past. Dunzo. Because. Goodbye. M.S. Hershey realizes that chocolate had been this time-consuming artisan thing which made it expensive to buy. It was like a luxury item. Yeah, for like thousands of years. Yes, but now when he had these machines shipped into his factory, Mm -hmm. he thought he was going to be making chocolate-covered caramels. Mm -hmm. But even with his initial test runs, he had this easy-to-produce affordable chocolate. And the fact that he could sell chocolate at less than luxury prices Mm -hmm. was such a hit he immediately began to rethink his entire business plan. Less than luxury flavor also. Let's be honest about that. Yes, less than luxury flavor. Let's come back to that in a minute. Okay, great. I have a lot of things to say about chocolate. Yes. So he realized this was a real business opportunity. In 1894, the next year, he starts a little subsidiary Mm. of the Lancaster Caramel Company. 
Okay. And this little subsidiary he calls the Hershey Chocolate Company. Oh, see, I thought it would be very funny if it was still called the Lancaster Caramel Company, but he just scratched out the armel and added chocolate. (laughs) Could be. Could be. Uh, But he realizes this is going to be his claim to fame. Mm -hmm. Now, 1898, with very little fanfare, without his parents in attendance, his mother and father don't make it, Hershey marries an Irish candy store clerk from New York that he met delivering caramels at one point. Okay. In St. Patrick's Cathedral, named Catherine Sweeney. Okay. There's very little about their romance during this time. Seems pretty convenient. He's very down to business. Mm-hmm. He takes Catherine home to live with his mother ooh, on Queen ooh, Street ooh. In, that, in that house. Does he live there, or is it just his wife and his mother? I think they all live there. Okay. But the little house was a disaster from the start. Yeah. Mother-in-laws really typically don't like when you steal their son and move in their, move in their house. His quote from the time to a friend was, his mother and wife, quote, don't get on together at all. Which doesn't seem like much of a surprise. Yeah, it's that family of origin triangulation. And when your kid doesn't get married till they're like 40 and you've been reliant on them for your financial and probably emotional well-being. She doesn't live with her own husband, but lives with her son. Shit gets weird. Yes, it does. So this didn't work out. He buys his mom another house. Good. But he kicks his mom out of that original house. Does not. It it doesn't matter. A lot of love lost there. Yes. Um, He hired his mother a companion, like to keep up the house for her. Are you talking in code? No. So he hired basically somebody to take care of his mom so that because he wasn't living with her for the first time in basically his entire adult life. Hiring someone a companion is a very interesting phrase. Listen, I would appreciate it being a scandal. I'm going to make it a scandal. I've got nothing to lose. What are they going to do? Sue me? Sure. I mean, they will. They're very litigious, but we'll get to that. (laughs) So for good measure, he buys up uh, his old farmhouse that he was raised in. Wow. Moves his dad into the old farmhouse he was raised in now. He had been arranging kind of all these little personal parts of his life, and the American Caramel Company comes a-knocking. They want to merge with him, and they want the American Caramel Monopoly, essentially. They're like, we'll take Lancaster Caramel Company. Yes, and now there will be no other place to go. Everybody will come to us. We can charge as much as we want. We will corner the market. Can't do that. And they, laws. Said, they said if he refused, they would run him out of business. He's like, I don't give a shit about my caramel anymore. Run me out of business. Well, he did refuse. Okay. But they changed their tune. Okay. They're like, okay, fine. How about we just buy you out instead? And he's, and he's like, you fools. Okay. <laughs> he starts doing the paperwork. He basically sells the caramel company just by itself, but holds on to his little subsidiary of the Hershey Chocolate Company. Of course. Sells the company for a million dollars in cash. Whoa. In today's money, about $35 million. Wow. He and said, he, he thinks it's a fad. He thinks it's over. Yeah, he's like, you're suckers, right? Yeah. Um, he says, quote, this was the best business deal I ever made. He kept the chocolate business, and in fact, rented out a corner of his former plant that he had built so he could keep things going. He is like, I, I got you, suckers. You have, you have any idea what's coming to hit you. He, he knows about this chocolate trend that's about to start. Okay. 
So he takes his mother and wife on a trip around the world to celebrate. There were a lot of trips around the world this time. We have mentioned this in multiple episodes. And I'll tell you what, it is much easier and faster to fly around the world currently in 2021 than it was 120 years ago. And I still would not want to do it. Oh, my God, I would not want to do that at all. What a nightmare. You're on a boat with your wife and your mother for, what, nine months to go around the world? You're What do you do? You stop in London? You stop, you stop in, like... Paris, India, Mexico City. Yeah, you're on a boat most of the time, though. They are at the first stop or second stop of their trip. And Mrs. Hershey says to him, quote, if you call this having a good time, that's more than I would do. I would welcome going back to home. And he said, those were exactly my sentiments, too. So we canceled the entire around the world trip and headed back to Lancaster. Yeah, You and I one time went on like a five day cruise with your family. And your family was lovely enough, but I'll tell you what, after day one, that cruise, I was over it. <laughs> That's like, basically what they decided as well. What are you going to do? There's not much to do on a cruise. Yeah, and there's no cruise director on this no. like barge that they're sailing on. No, you can't even pay $35 a day for Wi-Fi. I would love to travel. I don't think we would have the same ideas about what fun traveling would be. We have had this conversation. Everyone knows Everyone that knows us knows the difference in our vacation aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Mine is do nothing and yours is do everything. It's true. And so I routinely beg you to go on vacation without me. And you're like, no, but it's not fun unless you're there. And all I keep thinking is like, it's especially not fun if I'm there. <laughs> like I make it much worse than if you were doing this alone. <laughs> you are determined to and you succeed. Yeah. I don't like doing things I don't want to do. <laughs> Snorkeling, don't want to do it, not going to do it. Hang gliding. Never. Parasailing? Absolutely not. Wildlife excursion. I will hike. I love hiking. Hiking's not your favorite. No. I I would hike. I like hiking, but not my favorite. Yeah. So anyway, they are like, turn this ship around, they get back to Pennsylvania. They head back home. It is as much of a nightmare as you would imagine. Mm -hmm. So he's back there, spends a year ramping up this Hershey Chocolate Company, first year, Sell, sold $622,000 worth of chocolate. Yikes. So we're talking like $20 million worth of chocolate today. Rolling. Um, he was ready to expand again. But after having had his first big break, becoming a millionaire off mm-hmm. his little candy company, mm-hmm. and then basically becoming a millionaire again selling chocolate, he's like, I'm not just going to build a factory. I'm going to build a whole new town. I'm going to build a utopia. Ooh. He's like... There's this beautiful landscape here, but there's also this bleak company town, like mines and mills in Pennsylvania. He's like, I'm going to make a shining example of what society can be. And so even though this man left school in the fourth grade, he is just like, you know what? I can build a utopia for mankind and I'm going to do it in Pennsylvania. Because that has worked out so many times for all of the people historically who have ever wanted to do it. Exactly. Which he would know if he went to high school. <laughs> yes. See, you don't really get to the reading those books until later, and he just never got there. Got it. But he founds the town of Hershey, Pennsylvania. Woof. A couple other names on the table. There was a competition. He went with Hershey. Spoiler. Spoiler. <laughs> he liked that one best. So apparently, as he made this town... 
um, it was a company town, so it would be the people that lived there would be the ones that worked for his company. Mm-hmm. He paid fair wages, apparently, but there was no like uh, ahead of its time labor practices, right? He had no paid vacations for people. Oh, there was no medical care. Yikes! There's no like guaranteed wages. He had some free entertainment. It was low taxes. So it was actually like a cruise ship. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, he, so he would do things like he would, if somebody had an unexpected medical expense, mm-hmm. sometimes he would just like pay for that for them. Mm. Right. Occasionally. Sure. But much more frequently, he would just like spy on them. Oh, okay. Like there was a haystack one time in a field near the factory and he noticed that all the other ones had been bailed up for the winter. But this one hadn't. So he like goes out and inspects it and turns out somebody's trying to hide some spoiled candy bars that somebody had hidden because like they were trying to get rid of them. They'd screwed up. Um, Got it. He basically just like fires a shift worth of people. Oh, God. Um, somebody, somebody was fishing in the town park and Hershey didn't like the looks of that. He felt like it was like too low class. And so he told him to stop. Mm. And, and the guy who happened to be the town barber like basically didn't take kindly to it. It just like wasn't was kind of flippant with Hershey. Mm-hmm. So Hershey had the man and the entire shop just like hauled away, just oh. like overnight. Got people to put everything in boxes, kicked the man out of the town, just like sent him away. I mean, he probably has a little PTSD from all the trout. <laughs> That's I had not thought about the trout connection. One of the most critical key pieces, though, to Hershey's vision. Of a utopia, an ideal future. Mm-hmm. He built this beautiful housing. He built a lovely park for his workers. And he wanted to make sure that everybody was white. Yes. There would be no space for black people, for non-white people who weren't black. Sounds right. It, it, uh, Yeah, there was n- not a ton very directly said about Hershey's views on race. But there's a lot that the data says. Of course. So there are no records showing that he hired any black person for his entire life at his factory. Yikes. And this is after the Civil War where there's like a large exodus north. Yes. There's been a lot said about how the racism in the north is a lot more insidious than the racism in the south a lot of the time. The south, it was written into laws. and Yeah, it's just implied. Chattel slavery was like extremely brutal. But it is is implied and very real in the north Mm -hmm. in a way where um, basically for 50 years, there's never anybody hired that isn't white in his town, right? This is what he considered his, like, white capitalist utopia. Mm-hmm. Also, he, he thought, like, okay, so if I've got this money, like, what is my responsibility to the community? So he then decides he's going to give back. He never has any children with his wife. Okay. Uh, but they decide that they want to help others. So they decide to establish the Hershey Industrial School in 1909. I love a good industrial school. Yes. So uh, this Hershey Industrial School was a school for orphaned white boys. Specific. Specifically wrote Caucasian into the the deed of this school. Oh. Um, He thought that girls had an easy time getting adopted. Life was easy for them. Historically, life is easy for girls. And orphans in general are the people who want to help. But you know who has it roughest? The white boys. <laughs> well, because he felt like they weren't getting adopted and he didn't care about anybody else who wasn't white. So he sets up this orphanage and um, this becomes his legacy. When so he's, 
Does it become the industrial school to factory worker pipeline? It does. Oh, really? <laughs> I was making a joke, but it sounds right. Right, but it's going to take boys who otherwise would have like lived on the streets. They come to this place, sure. and then they become workers for the factories, right? Convenient. It, there is, by the time, I think after he's dead, there is at least one boy who comes up to this school who ends up becoming CEO of the Hershey Company. Whoa. So, so I mean, all you need is a fourth grade education. <laughs> it's true. I mean, so like at least once, like it does set people up for success, um, but it is just like very specific in the group of people that he wants to help out. Very exclusion, ex- exclusive. Yes. Exclusionary? Exclusionary. Yeah. 1912, him and his wife are vacationing in France for the winter. Mm. Um, so it's time to head back home to the States, and they book passage on this uh, new sea liner called the Titanic. Yeah. I was going to say 1912. Yep. Dang. Um, They're coming over the same time as my (laughs) great-grandpa. Yeah. They have confirmed bookings on Mm -hmm. the Titanic. Uh, It's not clear what happened, uh, but some work-related matter came up. It wasn't important enough to, like, make a specific record of, but Hershey ended up having to book passage on the ship America Mm. four days before the Titanic instead. Changed Uh, his ticket, made it back over. That's what happened to my great-grandpa. He had a ticket on the Titanic, mm-hmm. but sold it so he could afford a different passage a few months later, came to Canada instead. Smart move. Yeah. Barely made it. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. A few years later, 1915, Hershey's wife, uh, who he always called Kitty. Curtains. She died. Ah. Was she younger than him? She was. Okay. She died of a long illness that was never described anywhere in any written material Tuberculosis. by the family. Well. Syphilis. In 2006, this biography called Hershey, Milton S. Hershey's Extraordinary Life of Wealth, Empire, and Utopian Dreams. Uh-huh. Uh, the author Michael D'Antonio makes the case that uh, there's a lot of evidence she actually did die of syphilis. Yeah, that's why she'd never had children. Yes. Mm-hmm. And there are debates about when and where she contracted syphilis. But it is, there's also uh, evidence, inconclusive, but relatively solid evidence, that it was caused by Milton's escapades, where he potentially fathered several children outside of their marriage. See, I was not getting straight vibes from this man. Now, here's the thing, right? There's two ways to read this. Uh Uh-huh. there's very little, so there's there's a very good cleanup crew in the Hershey Company, as we'll find out. Of course, there's very little written about his early life that isn't congratulatory and celebrating him. Sure, but you either read this as he was not interested in women, got married at a convenience later in life, mm-hmm. and they didn't have children because he wasn't straight. Or I mean, he could be bisexual, but could be. Yeah, it, I just don't get the like he's trying to be a husband and father, straight white man vibe. Yes, could also be that she they were married. He was much more interested in business, but yeah. she was just never pregnant because of the syphilis. And sure, absolutely unclear. It's just uh, unlikely at that time without birth control that you're married for any number of decades and you don't have children. Potentially, yes. After she dies. He leaves Pennsylvania for a while, presumably while grieving. Um, he goes to Cuba. He gets into gambling big time, gambles away potentially millions of dollars, it seems like. He's got it. Um, he's got the money. He starts another little company town in Cuba, 
Um, they tend to like him. He, he like starts a lot of jobs. There's not a lot of negative stuff people say about this. Okay. Um, but he also is like incredibly controlling there as well, right? He it like must be difficult to find an all white workforce in Cuba. Yeah, that's the thing. Cubans though, when they eventually migrate, will be considered white, or they will lobby heavily to be considered white, even though they are not what you would think of as like waspy in the traditional sure. sense. They're not black, right? These are not Afro-Cubans. Okay. These are uh, ethnically Spanish-speaking Cubans who are not from Africa originally. Got it. So he sees it as an extension of his, like, you know, white savior charity work to go down and, like, create jobs. Wow. The benefit for him, though, is that he ends up controlling the sugar supplies, which has been the number one thing he was losing money on before. Yeah. So in an effort to go down, what is seen as like his charity work slash like, you know, setting up jobs is actually him just like, based on his mother's suggestion, controlling the entire supply chain and paying, you know, what is market wages for them, but much lower than U.S. worker wages. Absolutely. To essentially control every part of the sugar production process from the harvest to the chocolate bar. Yeah, I don't know that there is like a real to the core, like I am capitalist sort of person who does genuine charity with full altruism. So it seems like there's always like a secondary motivation. uh, So I think we're going to get to a complication of that simplistic story because around this time, Mm -hmm. 1918, Milton donates his shares, the majority of his assets in 1918, to the Milton Hershey School Trust Fund. Okay. So he's still living just fine. Of course. But, despite and despite all of his gambling, he basically puts the majority of what he owns into the trust fund for the school. The way that he does this, the trust fund has a majority of voting shares in the Hershey company itself. Whoa. So usually people will have a company and then they'll set up a philanthropic foundation, mm-hmm. and that foundation will do things. Sure. He basically sets up this trust fund. Like and a pass-through. Right, and hands his controlling stake of the company over to the school. So yeah. whoever is the board of the school now becomes the people who control the Hershey company. Yeah. In, in one very literal sense, mm-hmm. the company works for the school. Yeah. Like, that is the controlling owner. And I understand in, that. And in fact, right, 1927... Hershey goes on the New York Stock Exchange and becomes publicly listed. Oh, wow. Okay. But when it does, this trust is the largest shareholder. It has 7% of the common stock, okay. right? Which is like the, the stock on the stock exchange. Yeah. But it contain, it controls 99% of the Class B super voting shares. Whoa. Which basically means that they can go out and sell the financial stake. Yeah. But the people who make the decisions for the company will be essentially the board at this school. Right. And so all of the other common stock people make up only 1% of the voting body. Yes. Uh, The math is weird, but basically at any given time, at least two-thirds of all the voting authority Mm -hmm. sits with like this five-person board at the school. Tracks. So it's 1929. There is this like utopian town. It's producing $40 million worth of chocolate every year. His vision for this like utopian society is has arrived, um, where he had you know all modern progress uh, in a town that had quote no poverty, no nuisances, no evil. Oh my! Which is read like no black people according mm-hmm. to his designs, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, he he builds this like hotel. 
for a million and a half dollars, this five-story community center for $3 million with like a library and a swimming pool and fencing and boxing and a dining hall and two theaters. He, he does censor all of the movies that play. Of course. He, he makes sure that they are censored for, quote, sensual dances. None of that. None of that. And then October comes around. It's like, bam, bam, October 1929. Yes, the Depression. Yeah. So the Depression happens. Isn't that when it happens? October? Isn't it like October something, 1929, the market crashes? October 29th, maybe? It's 1929, so I don't know if it was the 29th. But it's like, it's like October. It's like around this time. So when the Depression hit, other factory towns started to crumble. But mm-hmm. at first, the Hershey town was doing okay. People who worked there for like 50 years said, quote, he was a businessman, which meant that came first with him. He would never spend time talking with people or meeting them. He felt like he had this responsibility to people, but that also meant he felt he had a right to control them. Mm. So he invested in the town when the Depression hit and saved it from a lot of the economic impacts. Sure. But then he also felt like, oh, I saw that all the other company towns were doing much worse. We're doing better. So now these people owe me everything. Yeah. Oof. And the workers became increasingly uncomfortable because he started to just want an incredible amount of oversight into their private lives. It's called financial coercion. It's yeah. abuse. People were like, they didn't love how the entire town essentially revolved around him. He lived in this mansion on a hill, oversaw the entire life, oh. could kick anybody out at whim, right? If you got fired, you got like kicked out of your home and your town and your community. What? And so, yeah, basically, even though he insulated them from some of the shocks of the depression, people were not super into this setup. And when he reduced working hours and stopped paying bonuses, workers became even angrier. There was a big strike. Um, General Motors had had a sit-in strike that was really effective a little while earlier. So the Hershey's workers tried to do the same thing. Was that before or after? I guess Henry Ford was different. Before or after they shot them in the factory. But Yeah, so they, <laughs> there was an effective one before the workers were shot. But unfortunately, when Hershey's workers tried to do the same thing, uh, Hershey did not take kindly to it. Of course not. They did a sit-in, and basically he he went and riled up all the farmers who were producing the milk that wasn't getting used. Oh, no. And Hershey basically put together this group. The workers made some mistakes, too, tactically speaking. Like, they were supposed to shut the factory down, but they kind of, like, walked in and out to go negotiate, and they didn't really, like, take over the whole thing. So okay, some people well, were working in the background. Was new. It was. They, but they definitely made some mistakes. Anyway, in the middle of this, because of their mistakes and because there were doors open, um, Hershey organized this mob of people, and basically they came in with baseball bats and pipes. No. And, and he, like, busted the striking workers out, like, like a violent— like physically Violent beatdown— of people who were trying to strike for better wages and any semblance of control, right? Like, even though he had taken reasonable care of them, it was this fact that he wanted absolute authority that they were protesting against, and he just met that with immediate violence. Not good. He's getting older, too. So, yes, he was born in 57, so he is getting up there in years. Yikes. But he violently puts down this strike, and he is just, like, bitter now from the seeming ingratitude of these people mm-hmm. who don't like him controlling every element of their lives. Okay. Um, people told him, you know, think of all the orphan boys that you help, the white orphan boys. Uh, but he said, they are not my own. Ah. They aren't my real children. No. Yeah. Um, in his later years, apparently, like, his nurse would drive him around, and he was still, like, climbing 
over fences and he fell into a sinkhole a few weeks before he died trying to like investigate the fields no yeah he was still spry but he was he was angry uh and i mean spite will fuel (laughs) a lot of things it really trust me you get (laughs) mad enough you'll you'll climb right out of that sinkhole yes uh he was experimenting with new formulas up to a few weeks before he died but uh october 13th 1945, a sudden cold sent him to the hospital, and he died of heart failure. Curtains. Just a cold. Yeah. When he died, a New York Herald Tribune editorialist said, quote, Was it not at bottom a despotism? No matter how benevolent or practical it was, the entire scheme seemed enlightened, intelligent, and permeated with a rare human decency, and yet, at its heart, it was a sort of new feudalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it absolutely sounds like that. Which seemed like a very fair description. I mean, it's a little Willy Wonka Oompa Loompa style. Yeah, it's... Except instead of sending, like, I don't know, he doesn't send Oompa Loompas up or down a chocolate river. He just sends his factory workers. But No, but think of it. If the Oompa Loompas are the factory workers, imagine yeah. if you brought in a very racially homogenous group of people to work for you that could not leave, <laughs> that had to stay, yeah. and, like, you controlled Reliant their every element. Them. Yeah, there's this uh, very real element. So so despite the fact that he donated most of his uh, fortune in the absence of heirs sure. to this charitable foundation for white boys, Ew. if it's because of the persistent controlling behavior or... The insistence on breaking up peaceful strikers with a violent mob, or in general the fact that his chocolate-making process, while innovative, also introduced acid that is also found in high amounts in vomit. Oh, what? Yeah. For that reason, Mr. Hershey, not my hero. We're not even going to get to the child slave labor of, like, farming cacao. Yeah, okay. Well, here, there's two postscripts here. Okay, because I was also going to talk about how trash his chocolate is. Yeah, so the trash chocolate, the the vomit thing is there's a specific acid that is found in his process. Okay. I forget what it's called. Gross. Um, But it is produced because of the way in the... This particular industrialized mechanization happens. Okay. Um, that is also found in high levels in human vomit. And apparently, if you are European or somebody who just doesn't grow up eating Hershey's chocolate, uh, it makes Hershey's chocolate like particularly unpalatable. Sure. So I don't eat milk chocolate because I don't like I don't eat animal products. But one of the things that I specifically remember, and I thought this was like a genetic thing is growing up, I would not eat Hershey's chocolate because it tastes like sour mint. Mm. Like, I don't, in general, like milk chocolate historically, I've never liked because it tastes like sour mint, but it sounds like it might be because of that processing. Okay, I found it. It's called butyric acid, B-U-T-Y-R-I-C. And yeah, apparently it is a byproduct of the Hershey's process that is, like, not found. It, people say it tastes like rancid butter, Parmesan oh. cheese. Oh. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, apparently that's the reason. Okay, that's not what it tasted like to me, but, uh, yeah, I have never, I don't think I have a good experience with, like, Hershey's chocolate in general. Yes. So the other postscript is 
1951, this school is renamed to the Milton Hershey School. Okay. Um, it controls 100% control of the Hershey Entertainment and Resorts Company, mm. which controls the hotel and Hershey Land, the theme park and everything. Sure. And then like the majority of the candy company. Mm. Um, up through 1960, mm-hmm. this school and this town had at most, from all the records we can find, one black household. Yikes. Um, it is race is never mentioned in any of the official like documentaries or stories that the company puts together. They have a ton of like history that they keep track of and that they publicize, like play up this connection. They are not keen to play up the, the racist dynamics that like shape this down from the ground up. Of course not. The school desegregated and accepted its first black student in 1968. Oh no! Which is 14 years after the Supreme Court. Brown Order. versus Board of Education. Yeah, after Brown versus Board of Education. When Shout the out Court, to Kansas. Yes. The the Supreme Court was like, no more racial apartheid. And here she was like, we'll talk in a decade. <laughs> Maybe two. We'll see. <laughs> oh, no. Yes. Um, so it is still one of the richest charities in the world. Whoa. Um, I guess w- depending on how you shape up the Zuckerberg Bezos stuff. But in terms of schools, it has like a $5 billion endowment, which like... Sometimes it might be $8 billion depending on when you're in the numbers. It, it is basically up there with, like, Ivy League colleges. Wow. Um, it only serves 2,000 students. Nope. Don't love that. So the other thing is that, like, because of the way he wrote this, basically, you could take that money and, like— His trust. The way he wrote the trust. The way he wrote the trust Got and it. the controlling company. Like, he handed this company over to the school— and so it's not like there's a foundation that can choose to like, oh, we're going to do grants to like, I don't know, fundamentally, you know, pay for college for every foster kid in the state of Pennsylvania, right? No, no, no. The school that serves 2,000 kids a year controls the company. And that is the only thing they're allowed to do is be this school. Or they still only have to be orphans? Well, so they changed it to when they integrated the school, they started to add girls. And then they said they could they could be social orphans which they considered to be anyone with socially or economically disadvantaged parents, which is some real bullshit. Social orphans? What the yes. fuck? Again, the spirit is they were like, how can we make this not just an orphanage? And they wanted to let more kids in. But because the way he wrote his trust, like it's not easy to spend the money on anything else. They have $8 billion. Hire some better lawyers. Oh. Rewrite that shit. They've got some lawyers. So they tried in the 90s to do this big thing where they like donated some land to the medical center, and it was a big scandal. Apparently, some of the board members own the land, and so they like made a huge personal profit for selling oh, it for millions. No. And then it got stripped away to like be this. But anyway, um, after that whole scandal where they like tried to carve out some money for a medical center... Um, people just like were up in arms. There were death threats from like former people who had been involved. Like what? Everybody was up in arms about it. And then 2019. Okay. This I'm school with it. <laughs> right. It is Pennsylvania's richest charity. Of course. They turns out had a secret course case. It turns out they had a secret court case. So all of these documents were sealed originally, and uh-huh. they fought to keep them sealed. They were trying to exempt themselves from the state's discrimination law. Mm. So they had previously uh, had to settle. They had discriminated against students with AIDS, and they had told Uh-oh. them they, they were not allowed to come, and they had to pay out a huge settlement for that because that was super illegal. Yes, Like $700,000. It's not big enough. They had this history of, like, you know, denying uh, basically any kids of color uh, until yeah. decades after they were supposed to let them in. And 
now they were suing as of 2019 to basically just like exempt themselves from the law that made all of that discrimination illegal in the first place. It's like two years ago. Very cool. Very legal. Right. Very above board. <laughs> this is what their lawyers are paying for. Um, basically, a Drexel University law professor said, imagine if they were not subject to the discrimination laws. They could refuse service to black people, women, those with disabilities, whoever they wanted with no consequence. Sounds like they've already been doing that with minimal consequence. Yes, but they are trying to like codify it. So. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that they have billions of dollars, they help very few people. They pay their board of trustees like hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to sit on this board. And this whole time, the company is aggressively lobbying from the 90s to today to fight any kind of labeling that would indicate that their chocolate is made with child slave labor. Mm -hmm. Because it big time is. To harvest the cocoa beans. So there is this charity. He does this thing where he like puts his money to the school. Which in and of itself is only like a marginally, like it's a very racist thing, but like maybe a marginally good thing for the white kids who get in. And then one of them becomes CEO, which is great. They were orphans. Also, at the same time, fighting discrimination laws and any indication that they would have to label their products as having been made by slave labor, which is rampant in the industry. To this day, one of the main reasons that there is not labeling that says this product is slave labor free and this one isn't in the United States is because Hershey has aggressively uh, lobbied Congress to prevent such a law from taking effect. That sucks. Can I plug a company or an organization I like that actually provides a list of chocolates that are made from uh, the labor of enslaved children? Please do. Okay, so there's this company called the Food, or this organization called the Food Empowerment Project, FEP. Uh, I believe it's foodempowerment.org. I, please don't take my word on that. I'll put it in social media, but you can just Google Food Empowerment Project. And every year they come out with a list of chocolate that is ethically sourced, ethically created. And um, that is that is the list from which people should buy most of their chocolate. And considering it's like Halloween season, it's a really good time to check into that list right now. Yeah, there's a lot of fair trade certification organizations that will do similar work. Um, So yeah, just if that's something that you would like to support, Mm -hmm. do your research. Yeah, and as a public health and nutrition security uh, nonprofit leader, might I suggest maybe not even handing out candy for Halloween. Try erasers or pencils or tchotchkes. You are always that house. I am that house. <laughs> Don't come by my... It's not pennies. It's not apples. It's not raisins. It's like fun little trinkets. Raisins are a crime against humanity. Stickers. Do you know how much kids love stickers? Marginally more than raisins. So many stickers. Anyway, this dude sucks. Yes. Well, yeah. And his legacy sucks. Yeah. If, if, for somebody who like seemingly was like very specifically giving access to journalists who would praise him, very yeah. specifically punishing people who didn't, very carefully curating his image and like has a whole company behind him, uh, for somebody who has been this careful to curate his image uh, this consciously, there's just an incredible amount of nastiness below the surface. Don't love it. Speaking of nastiness below the surface... If people are interested in finding more, until next week, where can they find us? They can find us on social media or on our website at meetyourheroespodcast.com. Yep. And please like, share, rate, review, 
spread the word, tell your friends. And until next week. Don't be a hero. Don't be a hero. Bye.